to respond to God's word. As leaders, the greatest thing you can do in life is be able to listen to God's word and then be able to respond to God's word. Now write this down. This is an introduction. I don't have time to get into how God speaks his word, but I would like to preach a whole other message on it maybe next week. I don't know. But as I was preparing this message, I thought about a, a, another message, which is how God speaks to you. Write this down. Number one, God will speak to your heart. You see this all throughout the Bible. God speaks to people's hearts. He speaks to the inward part of them. Uh, you see this in the example of the prophets. Every time they're writing, they're saying, God is speaking to me. Well, is, is God like sitting there going, Ezekiel, tell them this. No, it's a, God is speaking to his heart. Okay? Uh, another way to hear from God is through dreams and visions. We see this with Peter on uh, the rooftop. Uh, God gives him a vision. We see with Ezekiel, God gives him a vision. We see that the other prophets had dreams. So God will speak to your heart. God will speak to you through dreams and visions. The third way is that God will speak to you through other people. Other people. God spoke to Samuel and spoke to David. God spoke to Samuel, spoke to Saul. What was the major difference, uh, Chase, between uh, David and Saul? It wasn't that they didn't hear the word of the Lord, but David knew how to be obedient to the word of the Lord. Now, Saul knew how to hear the word of the Lord in his heart because after he met Samuel, God said to him, go out and do whatever's in your heart and God is speaking to you. But what he couldn't do is listen to Samuel say, this is what God told me to tell you. Don't make a sacrifice until I get there. And so uh, many times you'll see the super spiritual weirdies in church, and all they want to do is hear from God on their own, but they don't want to listen to authority speak to God for them. And what we have to remind each other, and I want to remind you, that's the difference between a Saul and a David. Because if all you want to do is be weirdy and hear from God on your own and not listen to authority, then you're going to miss God because there are some things God will not tell you. He will tell somebody else to tell you. So number one, God will speak to your heart. Number two, dreams and visions. God, uh, number three, will speak to others on your behalf. And then number four, God will speak to you from the word of God. As you're reading the word of God, something will stick out to you. A word of faith, people call this the rhema word. I don't necessarily agree with how they differentiate Logos from Rhema, but I'll explain it to you. And in, uh, in all the same, it, it still makes a good point, but I just don't necessarily agree with the Greek and how they do it. When they say the word of God written is Logos, what they're saying is when you're reading it, the Greek word Logos is being spoken to your heart. Uh, it's for everybody, and it's a general word. But then when you read it and then God specifically says this is for you, they call that the rhema word. And that Greek word, and because the Greek has two words for word, just like it has at least four words for love in our language. We just say word. They'll say rhema or logos. The problem is, is rhema and logos are switched around, so it doesn't mean just logos here and rhema there. But let me just say it to you like this. We know that when we read the book of Leviticus, probably that's not for us at this time. Amen? Unless you want to start slaughtering goats and bulls and, and start a butcher yard in the back of your house, you know, uh, that's probably not going to happen. But how many know you can be reading Leviticus, and while you're reading it, something will stick out in your heart. God will speak it to you. 
Well, that's the same thing like when you read the Bible. It doesn't mean every single specific thing is for you to do. It's like that person who says, well, I just pick up the Bible and I read it. And, it, you know, it says Judas hung himself. And then the next place they opened up, it said, go and do likewise, you know. So you don't read the Bible like that. and You just don't do whatever it says. You have to understand how the Bible is to be taken and then to do what it says. Otherwise, we're all supposed to greet each other with a holy kiss right now. Does Eddie Berto and uh, Jared, let's start right here. Greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> so obviously there's a way to read the word of God, and it speaks to your heart. And when it speaks to your heart, God uses it to convict you, okay? So the four uh, main ways are, are um, God speaks to you, to your heart. And that's just why you're praying. God is speaking to you. Number two, dreams and visions. Number three, God speaks through other people. Number four, God speaks through the word of God, correct? Because I'm just giving it to you as I go. And then number five, and this can be the real cool one, God speaks to you through angels. God can actually send you an angel. He sent an angel to Mary. He sent an angel to Peter. He sent an angel to Paul. So literally, messengers is what the word angel means. Messengers can come from heaven and speak to you. Now, how many know this can really make you weird right here, right? This, this is a, a good weird in a sense because if you come back to me and say an angel talked to you, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to look at you weird, and then you're going to have to convince me. And if it really happened, you're going to be in an awesome you know, place with God because that, that's never happened to me and doesn't happen to most people. And then once again, people who say angels are showing up to them all the time, they're just in the weirdy bunch. Amen? Because that just doesn't happen, okay? Paul did not have angels walking down the road talking to him all the time. I know some people get really excited when they find out they have a guardian angel and they want to know its name and start talking to them every day but that's called new age amen that's not your bible okay so those are those five ways now that's just the introduction so here now is the message maybe one day i'll talk about that but there's five ways to respond to the word of god five ways to respond to it write them down quickly and then i'll go through each one number one you can be disobedient to the word of god disobedient to the word of god that reference is going to be in Mark 10:17. Number 2, you can be deceptive and hypocritical to the word of God. Deceptive and hypocritical to the word of God. And that's going to be found in 2 Kings 5 verse 19. Number 3, you can partially obey the word of God. Do half of this and then half of what else, uh, you know, half of the word of God and then help half of whatever else you want. That's in Acts chapter 5. Partially obedient. Uh, number four, you can be resentfully obedient. You can do exactly what you're told to do but resent it the whole time and be gritting your teeth and say, oh, I'm doing it because I have to. And that's in Luke 15, 28. And then number five, you can be fully obedient to the word of God, fully obedient, and that is John 6, 68. So the five different ways you can respond to the word of God is be disobedient, deceptive and hypocritical, partially obedient, resentfully obedient, or fully obedient. How many know we're going to want to be fully obedient? Amen? But let's start with number one, being disobedient. Let's see what that looks like so that it can instruct you not to be that way. Starting in Mark 10, verse 17. We're going to look at the rich man. The rich man comes to Jesus, and he says, verse 17, 
Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. You are a liar. Amen. You know, we're going to put that one on him. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Did he obey what Jesus commanded him to do? What was he, my friends? Disobedient. Say it like you're up this morning. What was he? Come on, say it again. What was he? Disobedient. You do not want to be like this man. When Jesus speaks to you, you ought to listen. Do not be disobedient to the word of God. What did it cost this man right here? His salvation. Chase, sit up for me, please, and get this young man a Bible. You got it on your phone? Amen. Go and sit up here next to the rest of them. Adam, come and sit in this row. Make everybody feel squished, please. Nancy, come and answer the phone. This is probably the guy calling about our window that got broken. When Jesus speaks to you, you need to listen. This rich man was given the proposition, sell everything. Now, we know that that sounds crazy, doesn't it? When you first think about it, sell everything. Well, come on, I'll just go and give my tithe like all the other Jewish people do. No, Jesus said, I want you to sell everything. You see, Jesus has a way of giving you commands that put your heart right on the line. Right on the line, baby. There ain't no halfway with Jesus. Jesus knows right where to go. He's like, break up with that girlfriend. Get rid of all your music. Move and go into this ministry. Join Master's Commission. Come to SUM, School of Urban Missions. Stop doing this. Start doing this. God knows how to take your heart, your beating heart, put it right on the table, slice it and dice it in a million pieces and say, now, are you going to give it to me to put together or are you going to do it your way? God has a way of putting you right on the line. Are you with me or are you against me? Many times when you're in ministry, you're going to be given ultimatums from God. And I want you to understand, God speaks in ultimatums. Don't think that that's the devil that says, you better do this or this is going to happen. No, that's God speaking. When I was in Bible college and they told me to stop doing the rebellious things I was doing or they were going to kick me out and I said, no, I will not stop doing these things, you know what they did? They kicked me out. And as I was leaving in disobedience, God told me, if you continue in this way, I will leave you. That's the way God talks, my friends. Jesus will talk to you like that. Jesus is not playing around. So I love talking to people that always want to make Jesus out to be like he was this seeker-sensitive person. Jesus did not go after the rich man. Jesus did not say, rich man, why don't you hang around with me for a little bit, and then I'll just accept you where you are right now, and then we'll work on you. There was no process. A lot of times people want to say salvation is a process. The devil is a liar. There is no process in salvation. If what you're talking about is sanctification, a continual perfection to becoming like Christ, yes, that's a process. But you are to be perfect in that process. So there's never a half-hearted step towards Christ. Think about the rich man. He was told something clearly by God. Do this. And he didn't. Did Jesus say, hey, 
let's try it. Let's, let's lower the bar here a little bit. I tried to get you up here, but you're not ready. Well, let's do baby steps. I want to tell you something. Jesus is not playing with you. He's not your buddy. He's not your friend on the corner. He's not going to negotiate with you. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's his way or no way. He's either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. And let me tell you something today. In the American church, you can fool a whole lot of people. You can have a successful ministry and be disobedient to God. You can have people think you are awesome and be disobedient to God. So as a leader, you need to be sensitive in your heart enough to know what it is to be obedient to God. My keys are in the drawer, in the bottom drawer, hidden under the stuff there. We were told Sunday about the lesson of Samson and what he taught us. In his disobedience, he cut himself off from God. Let's go back even deeper than that to Adam and Eve. Don't touch the fruit. Do not do this. And they did it. Did they sell crack? Did they become prostitutes? Did they do the most hideous sins that we can think of in this world? No. What were they? What was the root of their sin? Disobedience. God said, and they still did it. My friends, you need to have a holy fear of God when he speaks to you. When God spoke to nations and they disobeyed, listen to me, my friends. Their children were killed. You understand our God is a just God. When they disobeyed, their children were slaughtered. They were sieged. They ate dung, manure, because they were starving. One of them ate their own child, as the Bible says. When they were disobedient to God, a curse came upon the land. Matter of fact, just to put a holy fear in your life of being obedient to God's word, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and just get an understanding of who our God is. The very fact that you have the opportunity to hear a word from God, you should be honored. In the time of Moses, only a certain people would hear a word from God. Then God's spirit came down. People started to prophesy. They were hearing the word of the Lord. And the other people came to, uh, to Moses and they said, other people are doing this. And Moses said, hey, don't stop them. Would to God that everybody was a prophet. And so when you look in Acts chapter 2, that your sons and daughters will prophesy that you will have a type of a relationship with God that in the old covenant was only reserved for priests and kings and prophets. My friends, you need to take this seriously, and especially in ministry. The Bible says you will be judged more severely. You can say amen. Look at it. Look at chapter 28, blessings for obedience, as the NIV preferences it. Now go to, pay, uh, go to verse 15 and look at what it says. Curses for what? Curses for what? Disobedience. However, see, this is an ultimatum. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully, somebody say carefully, You better be careful with what you hear, Dylan. Be careful with what you hear, Ellie. If you do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. One man, Uzzah, did not carefully obey all the commands of the Lord, and he touched the ark, and he died. 
Well, the ark was going to fall. Well, the ark should never have been put on a cart. Yes, that is all true. But it was never his job to touch the ark. No matter how pure his motives were, God takes his word seriously. And when he said, don't touch it, he meant don't touch it. It's a command. And to be disobedient, a curse comes upon your life. I'm reminded of Achan and the sin that he did by going into Jericho, taking things that belonged only to the Lord. All of Jericho's belongings were to come to God, but he took some for himself. And the Bible says that when his sin was found out, it was he, his wife, and children that were stoned by the community. Imagine somebody in here dealing with pornography. You bring a curse upon this ministry. Because you're in leadership, and you should be set free from those things, and you should be accountable, but you keep dabbling around with it. You keep being disobedient, and all of a sudden in the youth group, the power of God doesn't come like it used to. Sure, there's still a jump and a shout. Still, there's still a cute little girl that comes and gets touched and cries a couple tears, but the anointing's not there. And then the pastor begins to pray, and then points his finger at you, young man, and says, I know it's you. You have sin in your heart. And then he points to Davi and says, Davi, you take the first stone and Kill this joker. That was the time of Israel. You say, well, God said in the, in, in the time of the adulterous woman, hey, don't stone her. But my friends, there's a day worse than the stoning coming. It's called Armageddon. You might say, well, I thank God for grace now. But grace turns into wrath. Do not think to yourself that God will not judge you. God will judge you just because we are not having a civil law judge the people of this community like the Jewish people had a civil law. We still have a God and a holy law that will judge this whole world. Could you imagine stoning Achan? Well, you might be justified in that. You might make sense why I'm stoning the man who stole. Could you imagine throwing the rock at his wife? Stop reading the Bible like it's a fairy tale. Put yourself in these people's shoes. Could you imagine throwing the stone at their children? At their children. These were not wicked Jewish people. They were following the command of our God. My friends, do not make God out to be a joke. When Jesus spoke to that rich man, it wasn't, would you please consider would you take this as a consideration, rich man? Well, I'm just giving a suggestion here. I'm just like Dr. Phil. I'm just giving you some ideas to better your life. My friends, when God speaks to you, if you are not obedient, if you are disobedient, there will be a price to pay. Number two, deceptive, hypocritical obedience. Look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 19. I thank the Lord for his word today. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 19 talks about the time that Elisha had a servant working with him, Gehazi. And Naaman was a king of another nation, and he came with leprosy, and he knew there was a prophet in the land, and he was brought to Elisha and told what to do. Elisha said, if you want to be healed, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times, and you will be healed. When Naaman obeyed, he was healed instantly from his leprosy. Naaman said, I'll give you anything you want. Let me give you gold. 
Let me give you clothes. Let me give you fame. Let me make you rich. Elijah said, that is not what God wants me to do. Take your healing. Take your blessing. Go back to your land and serve the God of Israel. Gehazi, starting in verse 19, however, had a different plan. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Arminian, but not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to, sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give him a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them. And then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave of the t- he gave them to uh, the two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house. He sent the men away, and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. This hypocrite, this deceiver, stood before his leader. His leader said, we do this. He said, but I'll do this. He was deceptive. He turned his back on the word of God through his leader. My friends, when you join yourself to a ministry, you haven't just joined yourself to McDonald's. Well, they tell me to keep the hamburger on for two minutes, but I found a way to do it quicker at a minute 30. Well, you know, my pastor says we're going to do things this way, but when he's not around, I'll do it this way. My friends, you're going to see that this man was cursed for his hypocritical, deceptive obedience. He says, where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? That will freak you out right there. Think about that. The spirit of God inside of Elisha had a prophetic word that even fouled this man where he went. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maid servants, Nahum's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. Oh, but 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 Elisha, I, I'm sorry now. I, I want another chance. Why is it you think you and I can come to God and get so many chances like, like, like we can just treat him differently than we would treat anybody else and expect him to just keep rolling out the grace carpet, my friends? One day the Bible says if you continue to sin willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth, there therefore remains no more sacrifice for sins but a certain expectation of terrifying judgment for the Lord will consume his enemies. Hebrews 10.26 tells you, my friends, if you keep willfully sinning, there is no more sacrifice. I've already done a master dissertation on these warnings. Don't let anybody tell you anything different than what I am preaching from this pulpit today. That's what that warning means. 
It's exactly what it means. Look up the definition in your Bible of what a reprobate is. Look up in your Bible what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. This is among people of God. The Jewish people were not atheists out there spitting on the cross. They were believers in God, and they were blaspheming Him by their disobedience and their lack of reverence for the Holy Spirit. They were hypocrites, and yet they claimed to be the children of God. Well, Pastor, nobody, nobody sees what I do. I can get away with it. Let me tell you something. The higher level that you get in position in the church, the more temptations you get to blow it. The higher you begin to get, the more lonelier it gets. And if you want to, you can isolate yourself. And say, well, these are my youth. I don't need to confess my weakness to them. And, and then nobody in my sphere of friends knows what I'm going through. I'm, I'm so unique. And you will keep your problems to yourself. And then you can begin to deceive yourself. And you'll come to church and you'll come in front of Elisha. You'll be in front of other people with a smile on your face. You'll be saying everything is okay. And you'll be having a homosexual prostitute doing the methamphetamines in a hotel room. Because you'll say it's okay. It's okay. Elisha wasn't there. My congregation wasn't there. Nobody knows. But God knows, my friends. And if you're in a ministry where there's a man or woman of God, it will be exposed. Do not be deceptive. I say this to, the, to warn you. Now go to partial obedience. Go to Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. You're saying, Pastor, the weight of this word is burdening down my soul. My friend, the reason is it's because of convicting you and putting in you a fear of God, which will have you get away from the ways of the enemy. And stop living a deceptive life. And by the way, every person I have showed to you had a heart for God. Starting with the rich man. Oh, I've kept these commandments. Oh, I know them. I know what they are. I know these commandments. Then going on to Gehazi, an assistant to the prophet Elisha. And then now going to partial obedience. Here with Ananias. Here they are in the early church having Peter as their pastor. My friends, this can happen to anybody at any time if you do not take the word of the Lord serious. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, isn't it something we, we love the book of Acts and we, we pray for the revival of the book of Acts. But do we really want God to be in our meetings like he was in the book of Acts? Would you want to see your neighbors brought to the curse of God's judgment and die in front of you? Just because they partially obeyed God. Well, they didn't go out and steal. And and they weren't dipping around the corner and molesting children like priests in Catholic churches. And, oh, yes, they weren't a televangelist lying in the sea. But they, they, they had such a good heart, Pastor. Are you ready for those people to die? To die. This is not the Old Testament. To die in your congregation because they thought 
He can get around God with a 50-50 heart. Do we really want that? My friends, think about what we're praying for when God comes. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Wow, why are they doing this? Go up to chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, verse 36, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here you see this man Barnabas is selling land, giving it to the church so they can give to those that have need. And here you got Ananias and Sapphira. They say, man, I want to be like that. Boy, I want to do that. I want to sell what I have. I want to be known as a giver. Okay, that's the heart they had. They wanted to give. We don't even think this is this is their tithe. This is their offering. That means like Barnabas, they probably own multiple properties, just like people in this church and other churches own real estate. And they're saying, I want to give this above my tithe. I, I want to give this as a gift to God. I, I want to follow Barnabas' example. They sold a piece of property, verse 2 of chapter 5. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. I mean, come on. What's the big deal? I mean, it was their property. I mean, God's not expecting all of it now. I mean, sure, they made a commitment, and they probably made the vow in front of the church. They probably saw Barnabas, and as it was in their church, they probably raised their hand and said, we will donate our house. That's probably how it was done, but we can only assume. We don't know. But somehow there was a vow made that this belonged to the Lord. But really, I mean, come on. Maybe God really didn't tell them, Davi, to do that. Maybe they ate a little pizza the night before. They're sitting in service. They get a little rumbling in their tummy, and they just make a promise. Hey, it's okay, isn't it? Just a little compromise. It's okay. We don't have to obey God fully. We'll just keep a little back. There's no problem. Nobody knows. Hey, God should be happy anyways. I'm giving him something. Like as if God is that homeless person that came up to Jason and I asking to shine our shoes. Like God somehow is benefited by our little shekels and our little trinkets of gold we give to the church. Like God somehow says to the angel, Oh, whippy, we now have $50,000 here, angel. Oh, we're so proud of Ananias. No, God said all of it. I'm your king. You're my subject. I'm your master. You're my servant. That house, I want it. Go get the money and bring it to my apostles' feet. And when they kept it back, it was like them cocking their hand back, slapping Jesus in the face. No. No. It's mine, God. It's my house. It's my money. Do whatever I want with it. And whatever I give you, you better be happy with it. Because I don't owe you anything. The Bible says then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for 
for yourself some, not all, but some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. In great fear, seized all who heard about what had happened. Davi and Jared and Josh, young men, wrap his body and bring him out and bury him. The young men of the church came, took him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price, Peter said to her. How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her besides her husband. Great fear. Great fear. Enormous, immense, overwhelming fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Why is it we can be in ministry and give God half of what He tells us to get and and not have no fear of God in our lives? God says, I want this. No, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you this. You know why, friends? Because we don't have the power of God in our church like we used to. There wouldn't be as many pastors as there are right now if the power of God was in the church again. It wouldn't be as many backsliders up on the worship uh, band up here not tithing yet making commitments to be tithers. They would be struck dead. There wouldn't be homosexual people in the choir singing songs to God in the temple of God if the presence of God was in that place again. Fear would be over the people. Oh, no, no, listen. You you better go back to that bar and go back to sing because you do not want to come up here and do that. It is not worth it. Listen, keep your houses, keep your land. Go hang out with P. Diddy. Go over here. You go hang out with Paris Hilton because once you walk up in here, you're going to be held accountable for what you know. Our God is alive. You, you, might, you might as well go back over there, go to that New Age yoga clinic, and you go do whatever you do over there. But you come in here, our God will judge you. Oh, but he loves me. But he loves his word more. We always think we're just the most precious things to him, don't we? We just get so, Lord, I'm just so precious to him. I'll slap him in his face. He loves me. I'll spit on He still loves me. I'll do whatever I want. Oh, he still loves me. Read your Bible, my friends. The Bible says his love, this love that he's given us, has a time limit on it. And it goes away. Hell is not for the little sheep God loves. It's for the goats he hates. For the goats he hates. Revelation says that when he's coming on that white horse, blood is splattering all over him. And he's rejoicing. Rejoicing in the defeat of his enemy. Oh, you don't believe me, some of you. Go to Psalms chapter 2, you 
You think I'm over-exaggerating. You might have thought I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm taking my broken window out on you guys. No, this is a word from the Lord. Go to Psalms 2 and listen to what your Bible says about our God on that day. Psalms 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off His fetter. The fetters, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. And he scoffs at them. <laughs> that's, what he, oh, that's how he's. Oh, oh Obama. Oh, oh Saddam. Oh, oh, oh Iran. <laughs> Palestine. <laughs> oh, you think you got my kids right now. You think you have the people of Israel now. Oh, I'm going to squash you. I scoff at you. I scoff at you. I mock you. I laugh at you. Can you imagine God laughing at you? (laughs) Look at them cry for mercy. It's over. Look at them say rocks fall upon me. It's over. Look look at them now. (laughs) They martyred my children. They despised my word. (laughs) It's my turn now. It's my turn. You'll think your God's a lunatic if you read your Bible. You'll begin to understand he's not Barney, my friends. He scoffs. He laughs. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to them, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. If I had a glass and a brick right here, I would dash it to pieces. That's what God will do as he scoffs and laughs. Therefore, you kings, be wise. You're dealing with a crazy God. You're dealing with a holy God. You're dealing with a wrathful God, Kings Obama. You better be careful about what you do with abortion. You better be careful about what laws you make. You better be careful about how you treat Israel. You better be careful, you kings. Be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he become angry and you be destroyed in his way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. You better serve Him. When you are a pastor and you are a leader, you better serve Him, as the Bible says, with fear. Serve Him with fear. Well, Pastor, I don't know about that. Serve Him with fear. Well, Pastor, I thought it was... No, serve Him with fear and rejoice. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, God, I'm so happy. Rejoice with trembling. You're happy, but you're like, oh, God, you are a great God. Why do you think when angels showed up to people, they said, have mercy? Just seeing an angel made the most holy of men say, oh, God, have mercy. Oh, God, have mercy. The Bible says in the book of Jude, he comes with thousands upon ten thousands of his angels. Terror will strike the hearts of men. My friend, fear him now. 
Serve Him now in that fear. Why is it, my friends, when Jesus comes, the Bible says the mountains quake and melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Go back to the days of Noah's ark and find out what God did to a world. And He only saved eight. My friend, our God will come and His anger will flare up in a moment. And don't think of yourself as an Ananias or Sapphira. You will be any different if you are partially obedient to Him. Go to Luke chapter 15, verse 28. If you love the Word of God, say amen. Praise God. Today I don't have to preach for popularity. I preach to please the Lord. Amen. Look at Luke 15, 28. We know the story of the prodigal son, don't we? It's a great story. How many prodigal sons and daughters do we have here? Aren't you glad that Jesus gave you another chance and didn't leave you with the pigs and the swine? But it's not the prodigal son that I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the other brother. This is called resentful obedience. I've mentioned it before if you've heard me talk about it. But now you can see it in its full context. Because though you're going to see the brother stayed at home, he didn't go out and waste his money on prostitutes. He didn't go out and become a drunkard. Yes, he stayed home. Yes, he was obedient to his father. But you see that he had an attitude within him. He resented it. i got to go to prayer meeting again. I've got to do my devotions again. I've got to sit through another chapel again. I've got to listen to my pastor talk to me again. He began to resent it. You can be sitting right here smiling at me, saying amen. Making me think you're a spiritual son or daughter of the house. But in your heart, you could be resenting me. You could be resenting the discipline here. You could be saying, I get so mad. I get so mad at my pastor. He just rebukes me all the time. I get so mad at this church. You know, they ask so much of me. Don't they understand what I do? I could go to another church and they would like me. What's their problem? Down in your heart, you can start to resent God. And you can start to take it out on the person that's closest to God in your life. Your pastor, your leader, your RA, your accountability partner. And you can be going through the motions saying, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I checked it off. And in your heart, you're just saying, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Because all I want from this is my inheritance. That's all I'm here for. And whenever I get it, then I'm going to leave. Because I'm not going to be like my brother who's an idiot. I'll wait for my father to die. And then I'll get it. And when I graduate this program, I'll really do what I wanted to do. I'll watch what I wanted to watch. I'll listen to what I wanted to listen to. I'll go out with who I want to go out with, but I'll just stick with it just a little bit longer. Because I'm getting something out of this. Look at the older brother in Luke chapter 15, verse 28. 
There's a party going on. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. The brother has come home. The older brother in verse 28 became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitute, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Resentful obedience. You don't see it as a service unto your father. You don't see picking up those youth from the adopt a block as a service to your father. Why do these kids have to be so ornery all the time? You don't see your ministry as a service to your father anymore. You just see it as these just these people won't leave me alone. I just want ten shekels in a shirt. Leave me. My friends, you can be in the Father's house, but not live like a son. He says, my son, the Father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brothers of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. My friend, you can be in the Father's house and live like a stranger. He says, you're always with me. Isn't it good enough that when you're in the midst of the west side and the adopter block and they're all treating you like they have no respect for you, isn't it good enough that he's with you? Isn't it good enough that Jesus walks those dirty roads with the syringes and drug bags on the side? Isn't it good enough that Jesus is with you? Isn't it good enough that when you wake up in the morning to come to Bible college and you wipe the sand out of your eye and you get into class and you see the morning devotion, isn't it good enough that Jesus is with you? Isn't it good enough that when you go and you do your practicums, you do your homework, you do your ministry, isn't it good enough that God is with you? Don't resent obeying God. Because where God leads, He goes with you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, His rod and staff will comfort you. He says, follow me. You say, but God, it's hard. But I'm with you. I'll give you strength when you're weak. I'll encourage you when no one is around you. I'll love you. In your loneliest times, I'm with you. I read about the story of Victor Plymeyer who went to the mountains of Tibet as a missionary and he gave his heart to the Lord and he said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to be a missionary in the Tibetan mountains to the Buddhist people who worship the Dalai Lama as a God and who live as indigenous people across the winterous land. He said, I want you to travel from hut to hut, igloo to igloo and preach my word. Years go by in these Tibetan mountains and no one gets saved. 
But quite an event happens. His wife and his daughter catch an illness and die. And yet God says now as a single man, you keep preaching to these people. But, but God, my, my wife's not with me. My daughter is not with me. But I'm with you even unto the ends of the earth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Neither height nor depth nor any created thing will separate you from my love. Go. And as Victor Plymeyer spent his life with the blood of his daughters buried as seed on the soil of the hard hearts of the Tibetan people, the gospel began to grow. And at the end of his life, as he remarried, he saw a hundred people baptized for Jesus Christ. My friends, do not let the televangelists of the world make you think that God cares more about them than he does you. I will tell you something. Billy Graham will wait in line to shake Victor Plymeyer's hand. My friends, you don't know what it is to suffer for Christ in America. But the blood of the martyrs has been the seed of this gospel across this world. And the suffering of our missionaries have gone across this world. And they have shown us that, my friends, resentful obedience is a curse and a stench unto God. But to serve Him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength is a sweet savor, a living sacrifice to our God. May our lives please Him in all that we do. May you not be disobedient like the rich man and be lost forever. May you not be cursed like Gehazi and be a hypocrite. May you not die as you follow partial obedience as Ananias and Sapphira. And may you never be resentful in your obedience to the call that God has put upon your life. May you know that you are in the Father's house serving Him. That all He has is yours, a kingdom prepared for you in glory. And that He is always with you. May you always be like Peter. Turn with me now in John chapter 6 verse 68. May you always be fully obedient to the Lord. And hang on for the conclusion because it has a twist. John chapter 6 verse 68. All these disciples leave and forsake our Savior. They leave Him because His teaching convicted them and confused them. Because they didn't have open hearts to hear what He was saying. We need to preach this scripture at the next church growth conference. Amen. At the next ten ways to build your church, let us make sure this is one of our ten ways. Get rid of those who don't belong. Praise God. I thank God for Jesus. Amen. Because if all I had to look up to was these books I see on Amazon, I would feel kind of depressed today. But I thank God that Jesus had to lose thousands to get a twelve, thus to have a revolution. Amen. Thank you, Lord. John chapter 6. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter made a decision that day. I will be fully obedient to you. I've left it all. I don't have anywhere else to go. Every bridge has been burned. I only will go forward with you now. There was the story of a young man from a farming town somewhat similar to maybe West Monroe area there in Bastrop Chase, and he was brought up on a farm maybe similar to what you see in those sugarcane farms or those different soybean farms we see here in the Midwest, and he went out to be a missionary for the Lord out somewhere overseas working with the natives, preaching to the people over there. And as he was preaching and seeing the fruit of his labor grow, he got a telegram from his mother. Your father has died. Your brothers are too young. You must come and take the farm. Your dad would want this. Come back. Help us. We need you. He wrote back to his mother. Mother, I belong to the Lord now. I must stay here. My heart goes out to you. And I pray for God to make a way for you. But the Master has called me here. Fully obedient. If a man does not hate his father, mother, brother, wife, sister, wife, and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not forsake all, take up his cross and follow me, Jesus said, cannot. Be my disciple. Is it because God hates families that he says to us to be fully obedient? You have to hate all of these things. Is it because God hates families? No, I want you to imagine with us the rock climbing that we do out in Devil's Lake Park. I want you to imagine the 70-foot cliff that we climb up. And I want you to imagine these holes that are only so big that maybe you can fit this part of your finger, half of your finger on it. And now I want you to imagine climbing that with somebody on your back. Your fingers cannot hold the weight. They will slip and fall and both you and that person would die. Jesus is saying you cannot be my disciple and have a torn heart with your family because you will not be a disciple. But if you'll be a disciple, he'll give you your family. You and your household will be saved. It's not that he doesn't want you to have a car, a house, and a nice boat to have a day off in and to enjoy life and to have nice things in your life. It's not that God is a sadistic, torturing God with his people not wanting his children to have any fun. He just knows if you try to carry that boat up that rock cliff, you'll fall with the boat. So when a person comes to Christ, they say, like Peter... Where else shall we go? We've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. Now, I want to encourage you at the end of this message. If you know as well as I do the story of Peter, was he always fully obedient? But why didn't he 
lose his salvation like the rich man? Why didn't he get cursed like Gehazi? Why didn't he fall over dead like Ananias and Sapphira? And why wasn't he left in his resentful heart? Why could Peter, as we know, deny Christ three times? And turn with me now to the end of the book of John. Going to John chapter 21. Why does Jesus go after Peter? He had messed up. He didn't keep that commitment he was supposed to keep. I mean, it wasn't like he just went out and drank a beer. He denied Jesus. Jesus never went back after the rich man. Elisha never goes back after Naaman. Peter doesn't raise Ananias and Sapphira from the dead. And you never really hear about the other brother. But why? After Judas has now committed suicide and the game is over for him, why is it Peter has a chapter devoted to him? Why? Because Jesus knows that when you make a commitment, if you stumble and fall, that you still want to be there. God knows your heart even when your heart condemns you. Even when you mess yourself up, He's greater than your mess up. If you can put something inside of you today, Not a legalistic sense where I have to be this perfect, obedient child. I have to be this pageant queen for Jesus, else he won't buy me a happy meal. I have to be this starting quarterback for Jesus, else he won't take me out to buy me a match car. No, you need to get it in your heart today that you are called and you are chosen. And if you just have a desire to be here and a desire to stick it through, he will stick it through with you. He will stick it through with you. But you have to make a decision that these other people did it, that when your mistake happens, you stick it through and you make it right. You don't quit. You don't give up. And even if you go out fishing, you come back. That's why I look at Dylan here. Dylan came to our church said, I have a call of God, found out what ministry was like here for about a month, and he wanted to quit. And it would have been real easy for me to say, to hell with you, you've caused us enough trouble already. But Dylan will mark for you my word today. He will testify to you that back in that room with a smile on my face and with Ish as an elder, as a witness, we were saying, come on, man, just pick up your stuff and let's get back to work. Don't quit like this. Is that the truth? We said, man, you don't want to end it like this. Come on. We forgive you. Whatever mistakes have been made, let's keep fighting. Come on. And then when he took his little knapsack on a stick like Huckleberry Finn with his little handkerchief and his little sack lunch, and he walked down the road, and he he went on down to his plane, and he flew where he went, and he backslid how he backslid, and he did what he did. There was still a pastor calling him. 
There was still text messages coming to him. Why? Because I see this example in the Bible that if Jesus could love me when I smoked drugs and mooned abortion protesters and called up TBN and pretended I had a devil and I cursed out the pastors that tried to counsel me high on drugs, if Jesus could still love a crazy freak like me, Jesus can love Dylan. If Jesus could love Peter, who betrayed him three times and cursed about it to a little girl and came back and affirmed his love and let the Holy Ghost drop on him first and be the first preacher of the Pentecostal church, then I believe God can do it for you and for me if we do not quit. You may feel like quitting the ministry. You may feel like giving up. You may feel like Peter did here and go back to fishing. But if it ever meant something to you, God won't let you alone that easy. You'll say after that youth service when you planned three months long to have the greatest youth service of your life and only ten people showed up, you'll want to hang up your little badge, you'll want to put away your little rap CD, and you'll want to take away your your, laser tag, you know, subscription or whatever, your membership, and say, I quit youth ministry. I'm done to hell with these youth. And you'll want to go and play your little Xbox girls. Go buy yourself a new pair of shoes at the mall. But if it ever meant something to you, God will follow you there that day. Like he followed Peter to his fishing hole. And look what he said to him. He said in chapter 21, verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Leilani, would you come, please, to the keyboard? Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death by which Peter Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You know what he was saying to Peter? He was saying, I see the darkest day of your life. And I see myself there with you. Between now and then, Nothing will take me away from you. You left me, but I didn't leave you. Follow me. Follow me. I have a life planned for you. Jesus, today we make up our mind follow you.
Let's just take some time to pray right now to make a decision that we're following him. If you have been disobedient in any way, just come to the Lord right now and repent. If you need right now to hear God speak his love to you like he did to Peter, then just come on. Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life.